Hello and welcome to Bible Study on Search for Truth with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston. The Bible Study in our Going the Distance series today deals with fighting against temptation and lust. Brian looks to the Bible again for help in tackling this issue, which by its nature is mostly private and not often talked about. It's only when we see the results of succumbing to temptation by prominent public figures in the news media that its destructive effect is most evident. We'll be mostly reading from 2 Samuel chapter 11 this time, if you want to follow in your Bible. But now let's go to Brian. Thanks, John. Surveys and researches, primarily by the Barna Group and a group known as Covenant Eyes, reveal that pornography has invaded Christianity. Here are some alarming statistics. The first is general. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn on the internet. More specifically to do with Christianity, we read that 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults in the age bracket 18 to 24, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help in overcoming pornography. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Those are devastating statistics. May I ask, how do you respond when you hear that a respected Christian has committed a serious sin? Our next incident from the life of David illustrates the Bible warning, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. In other words, it could happen to any one of us. The whole point of considering this, and surely one of the reasons why we find it recorded in our Bibles, is to allow us to study the subtle workings of temptation and see how one sin can lead to another. David's downward spiral, deeper and deeper into sin, began like this. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It must be important that the Bible author begins the story this way. It's significant that David's sin happened in the spring, which was the time when opposing forces tended to rejoin hostilities that had been suspended during the winter. Whereas kings traditionally went out to war at this time, the author makes a definite point of saying that David remained behind in Jerusalem. The clear impression we get is this was David's first mistake. Here's the innocent-looking start of the downward spiral that would affect the course of the rest of David's life. Isn't there an expression that runs something like, the devil will find something for idle hands to do? David was indulging himself at home when, in the next verse we read, one evening he got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. 
Nothing wrong with David walking round on the roof of his palace, as far as we know. A beautiful woman catches his eye. It's nothing more than an unintentional first glance. Still no problem. On the subject of tempting thoughts and how to deal with them, Martin Luther once famously commented, We can't keep the birds from flying over our head, but we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. Of course, he was comparing the birds to the tempting thoughts. As David glanced Bathsheba's form, a thought flew into his mind. The problem built from there. The problem was what David did with this thought. He let it build a nest. He was still in a mood to indulge himself. The next verse tells us he sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? At this point, now that he's found out that the woman was married to one of his soldiers, David should have dropped all further romantic thoughts about the woman. But unfortunately, he'd already allowed the temptation to gain too much strength to be easily resisted. Finally, verse 4 tells us David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The Apostle James in the New Testament helps us to understand the process by which temptation becomes sin. He says, and this is James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. These words are a very apt summary of what happened here in the life of David. Temptation is usually easier to resist when it first confronts us. The longer we allow ourselves to be tempted, the weaker our defences become. Eventually we are so strongly under the spell of temptation that we have great difficulty resisting. Satan works at gradually eroding our defences. He knows it's easier to get us to take a series of little steps than one big one. David's about to spiral down and down. In James's words, David's lustful thoughts have given birth to sin and now it follows a deadly course of events because, verse 6, David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants, and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. But in the evening Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. 
then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Our sinful actions, like David's, can involve a number of other people. Here, obviously, Bathsheba and Uriah are affected. David has wrecked their marriage and effectively taken out a hit against Uriah because he was too honourable, even in his innocence, to accommodate David's first attempt at a cover-up. David had hoped he could fool everyone, including Uriah, that the child Bathsheba was expecting was Uriah's. But in addition to Bathsheba and Uriah, Joab's integrity has been compromised, and several other soldiers fighting alongside Uriah were also killed when they were deliberately exposed to overwhelming odds. Tragically, none of this seemed to bother David, so long as the message came back, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. All these readings about David came from Second Book of Samuel, chapter 11, spanning verse 1 to 27. Don't let this upset you. Those were David's words to Joab. How prone we are to trivialising sin. As we thought, our sins often affect other people. But the most important thing is that all sin is against God. That's why it's serious. And not only sexual sin, of course. David might have thought he'd got away with it. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. In the final analysis, nobody gets away with sin. A respected Christian, a church leader, the man who thinks he's standing, yes, even the man after God's own heart, can and do fall into temptation of different kinds. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's about how we respond to that temptation. It's important to realise that we don't need to fail. Paul tells us, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. In temptation, we need to pray that we recognise the way of escape and be helped to take it. But if we should fail, when we sin in any way, it's so good to know in the words of the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the next chapter continues, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. To confess is far better than to cover up. As believers, we are assured we are saved forever from sin's penalty, which Jesus bore for us on the cross. But it takes vigilance on our part, day by day, to work out our own salvation from sin's power, so that our lives of service here are not made ineffective.
Again, as usual, I'd like to remind you that it'd be useful for you to have the transcript book of these talks. You can do it yourself by downloading a copy by going to uh, churchesofgod.info forward slash media. And then after downloading, you could print your own copy from your computer. If you're not able to do that and need to request a book from us, just write in and ask for Going the Distance. You can use email or the post. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, also look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org and you'll find this is yet another excellent way of accessing uh, particularly older programmes that you may have first heard here on air. Now, it's been great to have your company today. I hope you found the study helpful. Next week, Brian will be considering advice from the Bible on how to deal with anger, anger management. Again, the Bible gives very positive help, so I hope you'll join me next time, and I look forward to your company. Till then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon and may God richly bless you in the meantime.